Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, we want to thank you guys for for coming tonight, and uh, we're glad you made some time. I want to pray just for our moms, because you guys play a special role in 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 the life of our church. So let's pray. Lord, we think of all the moms, and Jesus, I, we're aware, uh, sometimes we forget how crucial a role, Lord, women played in your life in ministry. Lord, it was you who chose a woman, a, a teenage woman, actually, to hold the seed of the Holy Spirit and give birth to your son, Jesus, in this world. And then you left it to another woman, another Mary, uh, to carry the news of your resurrection on to the ends of the earth, and she started something there. And and so women, Lord, have been very close to your heart, and at times we have not honored uh, the mothers and sisters among us as we should, and for that we ask forgiveness. But I ask, Lord, that all the women here tonight, that you would just elevate, Lord, esteem, would you open up our heart, Lord, in love towards them, and I pray that you would give a great year of blessing to them, Father. Um, All the mothers here, Lord, give them patience, uh, Lord, with the kids that they have, Lord, um, all the mothers-to-be, Lord, give them hope and expectation. Just all the women, Lord, who are here, who are fashioned in your image, we just pray your great blessing and uh, hand, of, uh, hand of blessing on. Um, we thank you for this time and this day we can celebrate and remember them. In your name, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, um, this spring, Colleen and I have been inundated uh, in our mail, actually, with a flurry of oversized envelopes that look something like, yeah, they all, and, and they have stuff all fall out of them, that looks something like this. You ever see these big oversized envelopes you get? Anyone know what these are? Wedding invitations. And I actually got seven in all. <laughs> seven of these envelopes with like reception times and things and everything falling out of them. And we started its, its own box now. It's earned its own folder in our, in our house. And, uh, but seven is a little overwhelming. Uh, and I don't mean that like if, if one of these is yours... I don't mean like you're, you're overwhelming me, but, but it's like we, Carly and I looked at each other and we're like, we could actually spend every other weekend this summer going to weddings. And if we did that, we would, we would also be in the poorhouse, you know, too, giving gifts. But, but in admission, we actually, it's funny, I'm going to be real candid with you. Um, these, some of them, about half of them are from people in our church and half of them are just friends from, you know, out of state or college and stuff. And uh, be real honest. We found ourselves this past week starting to fish around for excuses not to go to some of them, <laughs> particularly the out-of-state ones with people who aren't in our church family. I mean, this is, this is our family, and so we feel a certain, you know, kinship and friendship, and we want to be there, you know, with, with all the people here. But, you know, there's some, like, friends from college who we haven't kept up with who feel, like, maybe obligated, you know, to invite us. And, and so, you know, we're not that close, and so, you know, it's a kind of a formal formality, and so we'll politely decline those invitations. Now, whether you accept an invitation to a banquet, whether it be a wedding reception, a graduation party, uh, an anniversary dinner, a bridal shower, it often actually reveals just how close that relationship is. Because if you find yourself immediately responding to the invitation, oh, oh, this one's from Bob and Laura, right? Oh, Bob and Laura, Bob, yeah, Gregory, Laura, Rath, we do their marriage mentoring here, we're like close friends, we're going. It's like, why do you even say this invitation? We're there. You know it's because you're close. But if you find yourself looking at another one saying, now... Matthew who? Who is this? Uh, you know, and then dreaming up excuses like, oh, you know, I think I'm actually, uh, aren't we like painting the house that day or, or getting an estimate or having root canal? Then you're not that close, right? 
It's pretty simple to tell, actually. And, and we hope that the host will be, like, understanding and that our reasons for not going won't betray our lack of relationship. Now, this is interesting because one time Jesus told this story, actually, about a banquet to which many people were invited. But a similar thing actually happened. When it came time for the party, the folks who were invited started making excuses of all kinds for not coming. And the response of the man hosting the banquet was pretty revealing. Because he realized it takes a certain kind of relationship to sincerely accept a party invitation with real gratitude. Our text tonight is found actually in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. And I invite you to pass the pew Bibles on the inside row all the way down so everyone can get a look at this. This is in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, so third book in there in the New Testament. And we're going to read this one together, Luke 14, verses 16 through 24, and it's, it's entitled, The Parable of the Great Banquet. We'll start at verse 16. Jesus is in conversation with some teachers, and we'll find out about that in a minute, but it says, Jesus replied and told this story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet. And he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "Uh, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, so please excuse me. Another said, I've, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. Still another said, well... I just got married, dude, so I can't come. (laughs) The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And that's how Jesus ends his parable of the great feast or banquet. Now, you need to understand the context of the story Jesus tells in order to really decipher its meaning. Because if you'll notice, earlier in the chapter, Jesus is actually telling this. He's at the house of a Pharisee, right? Or one of those Jewish religious scholars. And the Pharisees, as you might know, were not down with Jesus. (laughs) In fact, they hated him. See, they were religious legal scholars, experts in the law. They knew the ins and the outs of the Hebrew scriptures. And they considered themselves gatekeepers of who was in the party and who was out in God's eyes. And Jesus came, of course, touching the untouchables, right? The outcasts, the spiritual zeros, the morally dubious, and he preached an astonishing message. And his message was, if you want the gospel encapsulated, it's this. The kingdom of God is at hand. What What does that even mean? That is, the rule and the reign of, of his father, the creator of the universe, is now present in the person of Jesus before all people in a way that had never been present before, a way that was now invitational to everyone. Through Jesus, he claimed about himself. Now anyone could have access to friendship with God. No matter how much they had or had not obeyed all the religious rules and regulations, no matter how screwed up their lives had become, they were now welcome and invited into God's kingdom. 
I mean, in Jesus, God was actually extending, if you can think of a big hand coming down through the clouds, a, a hand of friendship to everyone. And that's God-fearing Jews who went to temple, they went to church every week, or ignorant Gentile pagans who wasted their lives cavorting in whorehouses. Now, everybody was invited to the party, Jesus was saying. And to really drive home the shocking new message of inclusiveness, Jesus told the Pharisees this parable. Now, you know what a parable is, right? It's a story with symbols or, or characters that are used to illustrate a spiritual truth. And so he's sitting around the table with these religious leaders, and he says in verse 16, he says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Now, you need to understand the significance of a great banquet in, this, in the ancient setting, okay? This wasn't a two-hour wedding reception at Outback Steakhouse. Very different. This would have been a major social event in the life of a Middle Eastern village with all those of elite social status attending. And then Jesus says, and at the time of the banquet, this host sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And this is interesting. Because in the ancient culture, it was customary to send two invitations to a major party. Not just one, but you literally got two invitations to it. The first was to announce the event. Bob's kicking it, he's having a party, you're invited, all right? So you'd receive word, you'd get a letter or an announcement that this party was happening. But the day before the actual event itself, the party host would actually select one of his prize servants to represent him and go in person to you to let you know, okay, it's happening, everything is ready. Come on, let's go. So you get your invitation in the mail or papyrus, you'd you know, mark your calendar, stick it on the fridge, and then when you're out mowing your grass a couple weeks later, the servant shows up and says, time for the party, everything's ready. And the expectation would be actually you drop everything you're doing and go and follow him to the party. And this is where it gets interesting. Because the guests in Jesus' story insult the host by making excuses when he issues which invitation? The second one, made in person through his servant. And this is the moment that the sharp minds at Jesus' table who are listening would have started connecting the dots of his little parable. See, in Israel's history, that for God's first invitation to humanity came from, anyone? Moses and the prophets, right? To the Jewish people. They literally received a written invitation from God. It's called the Ten Commandments. Didn't really fit in an envelope or anything, but it's kind of like, here it is, chiseled in stone. Enter into a relationship with me, God said. And the Old Testament prophets echoed that first invitation of God to the Israelites. It was, you guys come, be my chosen people. That's the first invitation God sent to humanity in the Old Testament. But the second invitation extended in person occurred where? In the New Testament, where God sends his number one servant, his only begotten son, to tell the Jewish people that the kingdom of God is now here. It's at hand. Come. I'm going to give you directions on how you can get there. And those directions that Jesus gave to all people was actually pretty specific. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus says, the great banquet you've all been anticipating, it's now here. It's now at hand. And I'm the servant sent in person to announce it to you and lead you back to my father's house. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to my father except through me. In other words, you can't pay your way into this banquet. <laughs> it's not about what you've done for God that gets you in. 
It's about what I'm going to do for you. I am not just the servant. I am the suffering servant. And I have come to actually die on the cross for all of your failures and all of your sins and all of the things that would have kept you out of this banquet. That's the only way you're going to get a seat at my father's table. It's called grace. The kindness of God to everyone who doesn't deserve it and has fallen short. And this invitation is written in blood, actually. It's a free gift to anyone who wants it. And this is the gospel, right? That by simply accepting the invitation of God's servant, placing our our trust and our faith in his servant son, Jesus, that actually we have a place now in his family forever. We are welcomed into fellowship at his table in heaven. And this, as you can expect, was great news, especially to world-class sinners. (laughs) Great news to everybody except the religious leaders. Because they had no problem accepting the first invitation. They believed that God had called them to be his people through the words of the Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. And they were trying to follow them. If we follow these things, we'll get into the banquet. And they thought they could follow the details of that original invite. All right, I got my invitation. Yeah, see, I checked it off. I told you I'm having the filet mignon. I'm in. But they had a much harder time with the second invitation. That the servant in person, Jesus, was the Messiah. The figure actually promised to them for their salvation. And they just couldn't believe that. And so they insulted God by refusing to accept his son Jesus. He can't be the only way. That would nullify everything I've done to get in. And they came up with all kinds of excuses for rejecting him. Three of them are are listed in verses 18 through 20, right? It says, but they all alike began to make excuses... The first set, uh, said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. That's a pair of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> In other words, there are all sorts of reasons for declining God's invitation to come to him through his son's Jesus, aren't there? I mean, if you spend time with spiritual seekers nowadays, there's actually not that much difference between the lame excuses offered by the guys in Jesus' parable and the modern rationalizations we use to keep Jesus at arm's length. We like God, but Jesus is difficult. Because while he freely offers forgiveness and friendship with God, no strings attached, free. Once we're forgiven, in other words, once we respond to this invitation to live in God's kingdom... What does he call us to? Sacrificial living. Things change. We're invited now to make our lives actually about serving other people. I thought I was going to get served here. Welcome, my fellow servant. Your life is now about spending yourself to help and care for those in need. To actually give of our resources and be a voice for justice. To pursue mercy and compassion. And actually even practice kindness to our enemies. It was like, well, I thought I was going to get in the bank when we are like, it's about people who are outside and throw thunderbolts out. No. Kindness to your enemies. In other words, because we enter a God-centered life, we actually, our own interests are supposed to fade. And life is no longer about acquiring money, status, and position. Or using others actually to get what we want. <laughs> our agenda. It's actually about humbling ourselves. And considering others' interests as more important than our own, just as Jesus did for us. 
So it's a free invite into the kingdom through Jesus. But life in the kingdom is about God's purposes for our lives, not our own. It's not about us. And that challenges all the familiar things that we set up as the point of life, doesn't it? I, I've, just, I've just bought a field, and I, I have to go see it. Well, I like the idea of a close relationship with God, but I also have this thing called life, pressing matters. I'm a busy guy. I got property to look out for, purchases, fields to maintain. We just bought a new house. We're moving. And once we're settled in that, then maybe we can get this God and Jesus thing going. So I can't come right now, but I appreciate the invite. Thank you. No, how, how about you? Well, no, no, I, I've just, I just bought five pairs of oxen, okay? Uh, and oxen, by the way, in Middle Eastern culture were used primarily for work, okay, in an agrarian society. So I'm just swamped with work right now, man. I got like 10 horses, 10 horsepower running. My career and my job responsibilities and my money, all that stuff is really important, and, and I, can't, I just can't come right now. I mean, I mean, I love God, too, and I would love to like just, man, give my life to like serving him wholeheartedly. But first, I need to try them out, the oxen out. In other words, translation, see if my work is a fit first before serving God. And in Jesus' parable, this would have been one of the most lamest and insulting excuses, actually, since oxen were always tested before purchase rather than after. So this is just a polite way of saying my work's more important, actually, than your invitation to your banquet. And again, the invited guest has placed property above friendship. And we do that with work, don't we? Choose it over God because he'll understand. I, I can't respond right now. I mean, I'll, I'll, once I figure out what I'm doing with my life, then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll join up. Personally, I love the third excuse the best because the guy says simply, dude, I just got married. I can't come. <laughs> you ever thought, like, it's going to, you know, close you in there? He doesn't even offer, like, an excuse. He's like, please excuse me, please excuse me. He's like, I got married. I can't come. That's it, man. She's got me in the house, you know, washing dishes and stuff. I don't even know what to plan. You know, wife thing. Relationships gets in the way, right? A good relationship possibly. Maybe you found someone who loves and cares for you, but maybe they don't care for Jesus that much. Or as your romantic relationship with them has increased, you've noticed a corresponding decrease in your own appetite for God. Pick a rationalization. Life, relationships, financial needs, work duties, whatever it may be, there are all sorts of reasonable excuses to resist or delay responding God's invitation of salvation in Jesus. Like the people in this parable, it's entirely possible to actually politely decline God's invitation to you to intimacy with him because the timing just is is not fitting your schedule. It's inconvenient. And you're preoccupied with other stuff. Life's full of transitions and things seem pressing. New home to build, a field to plow, a crazy work schedule, the stuff of everyday life, a dating life to pursue, a new marriage to nurture, motherhood, babies to watch, the banquet's ready, but I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm busy. Well, the host's reaction to these polite declines of his invitation is revealing because verse 21 actually says he got angry. The servant came back, reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry. And with good reason. See, this passage is not about a last-minute invitation that's like impossible to accept. Like, oh man, I wasn't prepared, you didn't tell me. The offer had been announced well in advance. Rather, this is about a refusal to follow through after responding to the original RSVP. 
to actually say you're interested. Hey, I like God. I think he's important and I want to take time to know him personally. But then not to follow through. Oh, Jesus, you're, you're here now? Oh, I've, I just had a ridiculous week. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that you're here right at this moment. Obviously, that's pretty insulting. It's essentially saying all the other stuff that's happening, keeping me busy, is more important than my relationship with you. And it's, it's not just insulting to God, it's costly, actually, to him. That's actually, did you know that? That's why they sent two invitations in Middle Eastern context. They actually still do that to this very day in traditional settings. That first invite is to allow the host to calculate the correct amount of freshly butchered meat to prepare. And once the invitation has been accepted, not to show up is a huge financial burden to the host. The sacrifice that he's made goes to waste. And so the host of this party gets angry, but he doesn't get vengeful or return tit for tat. Rather, his anger provides the motivation for a scandalously generous plan B. And that is, he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, all the people who find their lives so full so independent, so busy and successful that they don't need to accept my invitation to them, forget them. I want people who understand their need. I want the least, I want the last, and I want the lost. Those who can't possibly help themselves or pay me back. I want those lingering and strung out in the streets and alleys, not those presiding over oxes and offices, estates, to fill my banquet table in. Bring in the poor, those who know they can't possibly pay their way in or earn their way here. Bring in the crippled, those who can't walk, who've been maimed by life because I'm going to heal them. And bring in the blind, because I'm going to give them sight that will dispel the darkness in their life and fill their life with light. Bring in the least, the the last, the lost, because they're the possessors of one thing that the busy and successful don't have. Humility. They understand the generosity of the sacrifice I've made. They understand the cost of this to me and of their unworthiness. And they may come limping, but they'll come. Because beggars aren't picky. And they don't procrastinate when they learn that bread is being offered for free at a feast. And so this first part of Jesus' parable is instructive for us tonight, particularly as we approach the communion table. Because we call communion the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. And indeed, it is a banquet that God has prepared and invited everyone to. And you're invited to the Master's table through a personal invitation extended by His Son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not just a servant calling out to the master's feast. He's actually the meal itself. On the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm not just the servant. I'm the meal. This wine, grape juice in our context, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Come and eat. Who wants it? Only those who recognize my sacrifice and their unworthiness. The same religious leaders to whom Jesus told this parable only months later 
would lead the charge to crucify him. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he willingly took on all our sin, our guilt, our shameful failures to respond, and suffered the consequences in our place so that we would never actually have to taste the bitterness of that. And in turn, putting our trust in that enormous sacrifice that Jesus made in our place on the cross, we could be totally forgiven, totally welcomed at God's table into his kingdom and set free to live in the love of God forever. To experience friendship with him. That's why communion or the Lord's Supper is all about. Come and eat, share table fellowship with me. We recognize our poverty and need of a benefactor. And we actually reject all the things in our life that suggest we're making it on our own. Work, money, relationships, career. And instead recognize our sinful disrepair. Ah, That actually in contrast to God, we're quite poor. We're crippled. Unable to walk even consistently with him most days. Even when we feel like it. That we are the blind, easily distracted and chasing after all the fleeting things of this life. And instead of choosing the lasting friendship offered by God. It's called sin. That's what sin is. When we choose anything else in life over God. And the truth is, we actually have much more in common, don't we? With that second group of guests in Jesus' parable than we think. So that's how we come to this communion table. It's the only way to respond to God's invitation according to Jesus. We, we, just, we can't just accept the first invitation, you know, a general call to be God's people. Yay, God. But we have to respond to the second invitation personally offered by Jesus to be our Savior. We put our trust and faith in him completely and trust him to lead us to God. We say, you are, Jesus, the way You are the truth, and you are life. And I know I can only come to the Father through your sacrifice for me. If you've done that, tonight you're welcomed at the communion table. But Jesus also teaches us that we must assume a particular posture, and that's the posture of humility in coming. We have to acknowledge that our failures and shortcomings, you know, that that we are sinful people, that we do have failures. It's actually called repentance. (laughs) We tell God where we've blown it where we failed to respond to his call in our lives, even this week. And we tell him we're sorry. We repent. We feel sorrow for insulting and rejecting him and prioritizing other desires above him. Not self-flagellation, but genuinely like, I've been neglecting you. Repentance is both joy and sorrow. A sincere sorrow for the ways we fail God, but tempered by this joy-filled realization that he loves us anyway and accepts us as we are, even when we've neglected him. That he's bigger than hurt feelings. That he's bigger than an estranged family member. That actually, I accept you right now. And that's an amazing invitation. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can renew that commitment as you come to communion. But if you've never responded to that personal invitation, to accept Jesus as your Lord and your personal Savior, can I ask, what are you waiting for? (laughs) What are your excuses? Do it today. Forget the oxen, forget the girl, come to the table. Respond in faith. And trust Jesus with your life.
I mean, I'll acknowledge there are all sorts of excuses for not coming to the banquet, just as there were for the characters in Jesus' story, but the only one, honestly, that does count is simply saying no to Jesus, as the Pharisees did. That's it. That's the only thing that disqualifies you. You personally opt out. You decline the invitation of the servant who was sent by God. And for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ and take time to respond to God, then you come. And the words of that classic hymn, Come Ye Sinners, I feel like they just does a great job of encouraging us to come no matter where you're at. Because you may come tonight feeling distant from God, having failed him this weekend, and, and you know what? You come anyway. And you get right with God. The words of that hymn go, Let not conscience make you linger, uh, nor a fitness fondly dream. I've got to wait till I'm in a better spot or closer. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. The blind, the lame, the crippled, no one thing. I need help. That's all that's needed, is to be aware of how undeserving we are and how much we need God's generous gift of cleansing and forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads even now, and we'll take a few minutes for personal prayer. And when you feel you're ready, you come to the table In fact, you can come from the right or the left. We're going to invite you to come down the center aisle here. Makes no difference. You come. And you're going to rip off a piece of the bread. You're going to dip it in the cup. And you're going to go up the side aisle, okay? And when we're all returned to our seats, we'll come together again. taken under by the world, but in you we are embraced, and we are accepted, we are made whole because we sit next to you at your table. Just your presence floods us with life. Lord, your blood that covers us and just wipes away all of our failures, all of our our shortcomings, 
and your spirit which now fills us and brings us to life. We thank you. We thank you for your body and your blood broken for us. Lord, these are powerful symbols at your table. And we, we take a moment, Lord, just to remember the awesome sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the personal invitation to come dine with you, to come actually feast on you, and to make ourselves at home in the kingdom of God. I thank you for your children here, for each son, each daughter who you love and you call righteous and you've made holy and you will come again to take us to be with you, present with you forever. We thank you for it, Lord, and we just give you great gratitude and praise for this experience in this communion. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, in a society like ours that is marked pretty much by pressure, (laughs) by guilt, addiction, the message of love and grace, God's kindness to people who don't deserve it, it, it's still good news, is it not? I mean, as Christians, we, we have experienced the awesome power of grace in our lives, and we actually have firsthand knowledge of what it takes to be completely forgiven. But in every one of our circles of friends and of coworkers, who you're going to see tomorrow at work or at school, there is someone there who has never tasted God's grace or the effect of his love in their life. And every day they attempt to function under the weight of sin and guilt and pressure and all of that. And that's why our experience with God's grace actually has to become our mission as well as our message. In the first century, when Jesus gathered all of the religious and social outcasts, and by his grace, he restored them. But he didn't just cleanse, heal, or forgive them. He invited them into a family of diverse people from all sorts of backgrounds who just shared one thing in common, grace, God's kindness to those who are still far away from him. In the parable of the great banquet, Jesus ends his story with a little twist. We actually didn't see the end of it. Because the first twist was that we learned it's not the proud or the religious or the super spiritual who actually respond to God's invitation. It's the crippled, the lame, and the blind who accept Jesus and become friends with God. But that's not where the parable ends, actually. In verse 21, the host of the banquet says, invite the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And the servant says, what you've ordered has been done, but... There is still room. And in verse 23, Jesus ends his parable this way. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in too, so that my house will be full. So that my house will be full. This parable tells us so much about the heart of God towards people who are far from him. Not only is the heart of God invitational to everyone, it's accepting of those whose lives are in total disrepair. But not only is God accepting of the poor and needy in his midst, he also wants his servants to go fetch those who are outside of the local community. Notice the slight shift here, by the way. See, the poor and handicapped, it says we're from the host community. It says the streets and the alleys of the town. That's who he says. Go to the people in the local community, streets and alleys. But his final call goes to where? The roads and the country lanes. That is those outside the community. And while the former represents the outcast within Israel, actually, the latter portrays Christ's mission to the lost Gentiles 
in Acts, and that means us. In other words, God doesn't just want people who are familiar with his kingdom or understand the Bible at his party. (laughs) It's not just about backsliders repenting and finding their way back to God. He says, I want my house to be full. There is still room for more. There is grace overflowing, and people have never heard of my son Jesus and have no idea. Go and get them. Bring them in. Go to the roads and the country lanes. Wake your neighbors, those who are far off from, never heard of my son, and bring them back. Because I've made room at my table for them as well. And that's an amazing challenge. And an amazing indicator of just how wide a net God wants us to cast with his incredible message of grace. He literally tells his servant to identify those who are far from the master's house. They're not even close. They've got to get in a car. And invite them to the party. So the parable leaves us with a question and a challenge. If you are God's child, I'm forgiven. I am his child. I am his, his servant. That's part of what it means to call him Lord. A servant does his Lord and master's business. And so the question is, who do you know that is living far from God? That God may want you to invite and bring into his house. Because the scripture says God wants his house to be full. There's no doubt about this. That's, that's one of the reasons why, we, why it's crucial that we follow Jesus' lead and invite friends, neighbors, co-workers, and actually the irreligious, the spiritually ignorant, the spiritually curious to come to the party. Our, our weekend celebrations even here at Liquid could be considered a modern day example of inviting people to great banquet. They're going to get a taste, maybe for the first time, just a taste of God's grace and a place that welcomes and accepts them. How would you describe the majority of the people that you hang out with? Church people? Street and alley people? Country lane and roads people? Do they need an invitation or are they already at the feast? You you know one of our core values as a church family is to invest in relationships with people who don't share our faith. Intentionally. And then... Tackle them and make them believe. No. (laughs) Invite them to simply come and see, come and taste that the Lord is good at our weekend services. I've been challenging you over the last month to identify three folks in your life that you feel need an invitation to our weekend celebration. Do you even still have those names in mind? We wrote them down a couple weeks ago. I still can remember mine. I've written them down. I've started praying for them. One is Phil. Phil's a guy who who works downstairs for me. He's a great friend. We were just chatting even this morning. He doesn't actually have time for church on Sunday or anything, but he's very interested about that, but kind of grew up Catholic, but not so much now. Not sure. Maybe. That's where Phil's at. Then there's Ron, you know, my gay hair cutter. Amazing guy. He now cuts my wife's hair. He now cuts someone else's hair. Liz is going to cut your hair, right? You're going to go to him too. It's great. He's like, Tim, you're sending all these people my way. I was like, I know. Will you come and attend? Would you, would, you, would you come to one of our church services? He's like, whoa, you can take Liz back. I don't know, man. <laughs> church, I'm not so sure. But I like you. You don't force anything on me. I go, why would I? God, it doesn't work that way. Never force himself on me. But when you feel his love and you understand. And then there's Scott and Kate, who are my New next-door neighbors. We don't really even know them that well. I saw Scott on Friday. I guess they're big beach people. They're going down the beach this weekend, a kayak and stuff. And He's kind of interested. And they were like, we were in the universalist kind of church, you know. But now not so church so much anymore. It's not really that relevant to us. Not relevant. Well, 
Did they hear the right message? Love and grace and forgiveness. When I leave it up to myself to invite people to church, like it's an optional thing, that maybe someday, you know, it'd be great if they came. I find I almost never follow through. But I want to let Jesus' words just turn up the heat a little bit for each of us because as his fellow servants, God literally says to each of us, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Go back one. Would you go back one, Lisa? I'm sorry. God literally says, I want a full house. That's his desire. That's not my personal preference as like a pastor. Like, oh, of course you want people to come to church. You know, it's your job. No. <laughs> it's the heart of our father. He actually wants a full house where even those who are far off receive an invitation to come and taste grace. And you know more than ever, we're making our mission as a church to be a welcoming environment where non-believers can experience the love of God, maybe for the first time. And as his servants, it's our responsibility to invite those who have not even heard of Christ yet. Because once they come, it ain't up to you anymore, and it ain't up to me. But it's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and draw them to God. Now, let me get personal. How are you doing with that? On this graph, for instance, okay? Where do you see yourself in terms of your comfort level at this point in inviting friends and family to church that don't yet know Christ? Over on the left, I've actually never invited anyone to church. Stop poking, Tim. Uh, over here, you're like Donna Juan, called the mayor. Everyone going to church. I bring three or four a week, and I want royalties now. Now, you know, or maybe you're somewhere, I'm probably somewhere like in the middle there, you know, you maybe, I'd like to, but I don't, you know, I don't know how to do that. It was interesting, at our membership class last weekend, we had each person identify which aspect of our church family covenant would be the most challenging for them to fulfill. And as a staff, we had like little bets going, you know, what people were going were gonna to put, you know, I wasn't sure quite honestly what the answer would be. Um, do you know what the most daunting aspect of the covenant was? Not tithing. Not like financial commitments, no. Or small group, no. Not using your gifts to serve, I don't have time. Nope, by a landslide. The number one thing each member said is going to be the most challenging was inviting one unchurched friend to a weekend liquid service. Number one thing. And there are all sorts of good reasons for that. I know. Oh, man, I don't want to come across as weird. Or like, you know, be labeled church boy. Or, you know, I'm not sure she's ready yet, okay? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of shy too, and I'm not good at that. Besides, I don't want to make religion all about going to church. And so on and so on and so on and so on. The reality is, folks, just as we can make excuses not to respond to God's invitation ourselves, we can make all kinds of excuses not to heed his call to invite others into his house, can't we? True. But God has made his intentions known to us. I want... Imagine God saying this to you. Lean over the table. Look at that chair. Do you see who's not sitting here in that first row? I want that full. Not so we can post up big numbers, but because they matter deeply to me as much as you do. God has made his intentions known to us, folks, in an incredible way. Just as Jesus went out to find you when you were far from grace, God's saying, I want to know if you'll make the same sacrifice as him. I actually think that the main reason most folks don't invite others to church is probably the middle reason, kind of plotted out there on the graph, right? I lack practical tools. Like, it'd be weird out of nowhere just to invite someone to church. Hey, so, hey, Scott and Kate, how is kayaking? Want to come to church? Like, what? what? This is kind of... 
And that's why we're partnering with you, and we're kicking off our Da Vinci Code outreach in just two weeks. Because we want this to actually start becoming more of a normal and natural part of the relationships you already have. As I've told you, we're going to devote the entire month of June to decoding Da Vinci and addressing many of the profound spiritual questions that 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 book and the movie this week out on Friday, May 19th, is going to generate. What, What is God like? Why trust the Bible? Who is Jesus anyway? Was he married? (laughs) And we thought it'd be the perfect opportunity to put in your hands, and in fact, you'll find one in your bulletin, a practical tool with which you can naturally invite one of your three friends or coworkers to come and join us at church. We've actually ordered over a thousand of these oversized invite cards so that you can simply pass them along to friends you know who might be interested. Hey, do you want to go see the movie on Friday night? Uh, yeah, all right, that's cool, sure. I'm actually kind of interested to see it because my church is doing this whole thing, a whole month of June. Can you imagine this? On Divi- Your church? The church talks about Da Vinci? You wouldn't believe what we talk about in that church. <laughs> and then you send them to the Porn in the Bible website, and then they're like, I'm there. This may just be the invitation they're waiting for, even though they don't know anything about God's love and grace in Christ just yet. And the question is, actually, will you follow through? Having heard God's desire this house before, will you join Jesus' mission to reach out to someone who isn't here yet? We're actually asking each of you just to pray about it and challenging each of you to invite at least three people to come, actually, in June. And, and here's the deal. I want to make sure I set the expectations right. Don't expect that each one is going to come. If you act, ask three, maybe one will come. I've invited Phil about five times now. Now it's a running joke. What is this, Phil? Six times? He's like, no, eighth. We're not just supposed to be faithful to what God asks us to do. We're supposed to trust his Holy Spirit to arrange the next step. So the question is, are you in? There's still room at the banquet table, says the servant. And the host replies, then go. Go to the country lanes and the roads, because there's grace for those people too. You didn't think this feast was just for insiders, did you? This table is sad for everyone. So will you rise to the challenge? There's actually a whole table in the foyer that we put together for you of these oversized invite cards on your way out. And we're going to invite you to take as many as you'll need to invite those you know. And this is a great week to start that. This Friday is the release of the movie version of Da Vinci Code. And and maybe you might start by inviting some friends to dinner in the movie, you know, with the folks that God brings to your mind and simply invite them to this series that, that your church is doing. It's pretty simple. It's called Invest and Invite. You know, that's our strategy. And it's, it's up to them whether to respond to God's invitation or not. I hope you'll join me. This week I'm doing it, actually. I'm inviting Phil first. I'm going to see him on Tuesday, actually. Put in his hands. I've kind of primed the pump here a little bit. Phil, don't make me do nine. Come on, man, you know. And I'm getting my hair cut by Ron on, uh, on Thursday. So that's when he's going to get his invite. And my neighbors, Scott and Kate, I actually don't know them really well just yet. So they, they just know like I'm a pastor and they've expressed some interest in finding out about, about liquid. So I figured I actually may just pop this in their mailbox along with like a little post-it note just to let them know if they're interested in coming, come with Colleen and I. You can drive with us, guys. Who has God sent you to reach? I want us to pray and just ask God to give us some clarity and courage this week as we invite others to come just as Jesus did with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that parable, Jesus, that you intentionally told to poke religious people. That actually, Lord, it's not about being religious or churchy that allows us to be welcomed in your presence. We just don't qualify, Lord. But through the acceptance of your personal son, Jesus, and his death, his resurrection for us, we are co-heirs now with Christ. 
a seat right at your table, Lord, in your presence. Lord, there are empty seats too, though. And I ask that your Holy Spirit now would give us the courage to take up, Lord, the mantle of Jesus and go searching for that one who's lost, leaving 99 behind. You actually instructed Jesus us to ignore the insiders so that we could focus on the one who is far away. Lord, bring to mind all sorts of um, outcasts, Lord, people who are blind, people who are crippled, people who are needy, others who nobody's pausing for in life. And by your Spirit, let us rise and go and bring them in.